had the privilege of double dipping, preaching and singing at the same time. It's been rather nice. I'm not going to lie. I've been enjoying it. Don't know if you have, but I've been enjoying it. Um, but uh, today, I, I don't get to preach, of which I'm sure many of you are totally bummed out. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've noticed um, that a, a certain gentleman hasn't been in our presence for the last several weeks. Uh, his name is Kalen. He's back. And um, I've asked him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's loved here at the church. And um, I asked him to share this Sunday, not because I don't want to. It's just because I heard a little rumor of the wonderful things in which God has uh, done in his heart throughout this uh, intensive that he was part of. I'm not going to take his thunder. He's going to share himself. Um, but I asked him if he would give us a snapshot of some of the things that the Lord was doing in his heart and then kind of weave a sermon. If you've ever heard Kalen speak, it's not going to be hard for him. He's a wonderful communicator. He loves Jesus even more. Kalen, will you come up? Um, at this time, I, I'm going to pray for us, if that's okay. Um, I'm sure Kalen has prayed up. You know, he's been away for several weeks, you know, just like a fire hose, God's anointing just pouring into him, and, uh, and he's fully prepared and, uh, to deliver a sermon today. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm more just aware of our own hearts, you know, and, 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 and even specifically, more specifically, our ears, just being in tune to what the Lord might speak to us. How many know it's hard to really just like stay locked in for like a half an hour to 40 minutes in today's society? Well, I'm going to pray that the Lord helps us and gives us grace that we be able to focus and really gain an impartation here this morning. So Father, in the name of Jesus, first we lift up your servant. Lord, we thank you for this man. We thank you for making him part of this community. Lord, we are so blessed to have him. And then beyond that, God, we pray for our own hearts, Lord, that our hearts would be open and softened today. Our necks would be just softened today, Lord, and our ears would hear the wonderful uh, news of Jesus proclaimed in this place. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Kaylin. Uh, hello, Michelle. Good to see you. And uh, I have the honor of coming to you with a bit of some teaching, a little bit of testimony from the last few weeks. I'm going to try to do my best to weave them together. Um, I do feel like I have instruction from the Lord to flow a little bit in a way that I'm not necessarily used to, um, as I was thinking about what the Lord wanted to say. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. So for three weeks, I was in St. Louis. And by the way, St. Louis is a great city, but I missed Boston. <laughs> I missed Boston. Um, and um, I really feel that the Lord is pressing on my heart to share, uh, even now, even though I am still a little bit raw and processing. And St. Louis is, um, for probably three weeks, has been 100 degrees plus, okay? And I didn't have no AC in my room, so I was dependent on the Holy Ghost <laughs> every night. <laughs> um, he's been rocking me in so many ways, and uh, I do believe that I have a word from the Lord just for our church, specifically for the church in Boston. And as the Lord began to reveal some things to me, and I started to read through the book of Ephesians, and I started to like geek out on this book, man, the Lord just started to reveal new treasures. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you read something and the information is good, but the revelation doesn't hit until a moment in time. And I feel like St. Louis, particularly in the last few weeks, was a place of revelation. 
And for the church in this hour, I think the Lord wants to move us from a place of information to revelation. And as Daryl was praying, it's so true that oftentimes we can hear and we do see, but the eyes of our hearts aren't enlightened. And the book of Ephesians is a great book because it's a lofty one. I don't know if you know anything about Ephesians, but it's considered maybe the loftiest of Paul's writings. It's a book about the loftiness of the church, what God has called the church to be, what God has called the church to walk in, what God has called the church to fulfill. And as I went to this intensive, I really thought, Lord, I had a few questions for the Lord. I needed some direction. Uh, I, I needed some information. I, I just wanted to be guided in a new direction. So I changed some things in my life. I rearranged some of my priorities so God to speak to me. What I realized is that sometimes I go to God looking for one thing and he gives me another. And I think that right now for myself and for all of us in this room right now, many of us this morning came to God for a thing. But I think the Lord is changing and resetting our expectations with another thing and with a better thing. And as I began to pray and encounter the Lord, it was just so amazing. It was just so enlightening, the revelation that he was pouring out specifically for his church. And I just wanted to walk through Ephesians. And if I, I mean, I could do six weeks on Ephesians. We should at some point do a series on the book and just go chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. We are in a pressing moment where we have to make up our minds what we believe about the church of God. And in an hour where there is a lot of things said, especially now about the church, the people of God have to come to revelation about what the church actually is. And this is why Ephesians was written. It's a treatise of sorts. It's, it's a, a lofty, explanation and revelation of what the church of God is. And so I'm going to go through Ephesians 1. This probably isn't the best way to teach, but I'm going to read about 23 verses, okay? I'm going to read 23 verses. I'm just going to try maybe a little bit more expository. I'm going to try to honor the text, but I think the Lord is going to extract and reveal some things for us, especially that's timely and for this city and this locale. I'm going to skip verses 1 and 2, but I'm going to go to verse 3. As uh, it reads, I'm in the ESV, by the way, so I don't know if that matters or if that's what you pulled up. Thanks, Chris. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I'm going to stop there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I don't want us to go too far beyond that. And uh, the reason I, I stop at every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is I think the Lord is orienting our vision to begin to see that we're not operating in a fleshly place or we're not operating by what we see but we're actually being resourced. The church of God is resourced in a heavenly realm. And I don't know if we understand the full capacity of what that means, but the resources on earth are temporary. The blessings and giftings of man are also temporal. But if we're resourced in a heavenly place, that means that there's a whole nother dimension that God has called us to operate in. That when we often think about the church and we think about our 
uh, religious liturgy. We think about the church as coming to church on a Sunday morning. And the Lord is actually calling us to understand that the church is a place that's resourced in a heavenly realm. And it's not a constructed building. It's not a, just a gathering of flesh and bones. But as we sit here today, it's not just us, but that the resources of heaven are inside of us and poured over us in this very moment. And the heavenly realm is something that we want more revelation on. And as he says, we have every blessing from this heavenly place. In verse four, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. There's a lot said there, but I want to just extract a few things. Our blessing that comes from the heavenly place is not dependent on what we can offer. And let me just reread this in a simplified form because what Paul is saying here is that every blessing comes from God, is initiated by God, is verified and confirmed by God. And so when we look at, our, when we look at the church, our standing and blessing is solely based on what God has done. And why that's important is because we can't think of ourselves too lowly or too highly. We can't think of ourselves as the result of our efforts or our striving. We can't be too prideful to say that, well, in my mistakes or in my revelation or in the church's brokenness, that this is the capacity and the limit of the church. But in fact, it's all based on what God has done. And so what he says is, it's he who chose us before the foundation of the world. It's he who predestined us as sons. It's he who loved us. It's he who gave us grace. And it's he who gives us redemption by the blood. It's he. So when we look at the church, it's not us, it's he. When we look at the church and its authority, it's not our authority, it's his authority. And so when we think about everything that the Lord has called the church to be, it's not based on what we can do or accomplish. It's based on his grace, his blood, his predestination, him choosing us. It's based on his redemption through his blood. And so what that says to me is that God has made up his mind already. <laughs> before the foundation of the world, before the brokenness of man, before the corruption in and out of the church, that God made up his mind about his people. And if you go into Ephesians chapter two, you'll see that Paul reiterates this and says that we are saved by grace through faith, lest no man should boast. And this is exactly the revelation that the Lord is uh, even using Paul to declare over the church of Ephesus. And I'll talk a little bit about the context of Ephesus in a bit, but this is a really important principle to understand as we begin to hear now what exactly God is calling the church into. If we don't understand that it was God's initiation, it's his purpose, it's his will that he decided, then we'll be, we won't have a firm foundation and we won't have hope or faith that we can actually accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. God has called us to accomplish so much more than we even can imagine. And if we really understood, let me be honest with you, if we really understood what was required of us in the end times, if we really understood and we looked at it from a fleshly place, 
if we looked at it from uh, this is going to like the capacity of man, we wouldn't be able, we would have no hope to accomplish what the church needs to accomplish in the end times. There is no hope unless God has already decided that he's going to complete the work. And so verse, I'm going to skip a few um, verses. I'm going to go to verse 8, Chris, verse 8 through 10. So Paul's now talking about this grace, which he lavished upon us. So he lavished exorbitantly. He gives us an exorbitance of grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is a church, we believe in revival. We believe that the Lord will move out of Boston, right? Amen? Amen? Amen. I think we believe. I don't know. So, <laughs> what Paul is affirming here is that it's his grace that he's lavished upon us. So when we say his blood, his redemption, his grace, it's lavished on us. God gives generously out of his pleasure. So we know that God takes pleasure in his church. We know that he's not withholding from his church. We know that he loves his church so much to lavish something on his church, right? That he is not worried about what's in the bank account. He's giving it all to his church. And that's so important that God gives it all to his people. He does not withhold from you. And so when we aren't walking in our fullness, it's not because God, isn't, it's not because God is withholding from us. And so he lavishes his grace upon us. But then it says this, in all wisdom and insight. One of my favorite revelations about the church is that we do know that God loves us, and that's an amazing truth about the gospel. It's an amazing truth that, truth that God is kind towards us, that God is gracious towards us. But what Paul is saying here is that he lavished us in grace in all wisdom and insight. And so what he's beginning to redirect the church of Ephesus into is that praise be to God. Blessed be to God for his blood. Blessed be to God for his grace. Blessed be to God for the resources of heaven. But it's for a purpose. It's been based and birthed out of wisdom. God is not just kind, he's wise. God does not just lavish because he wants to. It's because he has a purpose and a will for the church that it's actually birthed out of an eternal purpose. So it's not just love, it's wisdom. And so the church is not just a distributor, a purveyor of love in the end times. It actually will declare the wisdom and insight of God. And when revelation is required, especially now on some really, really demonic and divisive issues in our age, when we only operate in love and we miss out on the wisdom and insight of God, we can't operate in our full purpose. He says, in all wisdom and insight, he says, pay attention. I love you, but I'm revealing to you there's wisdom in my love. There's insight in my love. I'm revealing to you a new thing about my love. And it's not just so that we can receive the grace of God, but he's pointing us to an eternal purpose. He's setting us forth in an end times age for the church to be able to accomplish something that we can't in and of ourselves. He lavished upon us in all wisdom, all wisdom, all wisdom and insight. 
that every ounce of his wisdom he pours out over us, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. I want you to hear some of this language. A, the mystery of his will according to his purpose set forth in Christ in a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The church can't, be, can't afford to be experts on his love and love alone. When he poured out a revelation of his wisdom, he poured out a revelation of his wisdom in the end times. The question is, do we know the full story? Do we know the mysteries of Christ? Some of us, when we read the Bible, we read the Bible without any tension at all, especially the Old Testament. And we're like, well, of course, you know, Jesus is going to come and save the day. You know, you're just skipping ahead. You're in Exodus and thinking about, well, there's the cross. And that's how we know all this is going to be solved. But did you know that there's a mystery of the gospel? That God actually releases the mystery according to his purposes and plans? That the full mystery of Christ, and Ephesians goes into this in the later chapters, the full mystery of God's will wasn't even released to his church until Christ came. And so we read the Old Testament and we have no tension. But there was a mystery and there is a mystery that God wants to reveal to his church if we seek him and if we ask him. That we can't just be content. That we can't just be satiated with what we know about God. I'm saying that to the church in Boston. We cannot be content. We cannot be satiated with what we already know about God. We were set on a course to see the mysteries. We were set on a highway to know the depths. That if we feel as if we've got it all figured out, we know nothing. And that there's a mystery that God is calling us into, especially for Boston. I'm going to go to verse 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul has heard of the faith in Ephesus. They're a strong church. It's actually Ephesus is probably where Paul actually spent the longest amount of time, where he's preaching and he's teaching for almost three years in Ephesus. And if you go to, the, if you go to Acts, Acts chapter 19, you'll begin to see the types of things that Paul was operating in and walking in while he was in Ephesus. So Paul has a deep love and familiarity with Ephesus. And Ephesus is an important city at this time. It's, uh, many people called it the gateway to Asia. It's a port city, commerce and trade. And it's an important city at this time that the Lord is raising up a church. And Paul is speaking to them and he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. He's actually affirming them. Ephesians is one of the only books where Paul isn't actually like correcting a church. He's not really correcting a church in the way that we see him correct a church like in Corinthians. But he's saying, I've heard of your faith. I'm pleased and I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
So we have a healthy church. We have a church that he's giving thanks for. We have a church that he's, he's really, really, really familiar and in love with the people in Ephesus. But this is what he says. He says, I'm remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A church that has faith in the Lord and love towards the saints, he says, you need revelation. Sometimes we think, we look at our church context like, oh, it's going pretty well. <laughs> you know, community groups are strong. And this is what's happening in Ephesus. There's so much, there are dynamics here. But Paul is saying, oh, I love you guys so much, but if you guys could only get revelation, if you guys could only get wisdom, I pray that the depths and the mysteries of God would yet be revealed to you. That although he's not correcting or rebuking them, he says there's more. <laughs> he says there's more for the church in Ephesus. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance. You know, I believe that wisdom and revelation are for a mature believer, for a mature bride. But Paul says that wisdom and revelation, he says, I'm praying to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so specifically for the church in Boston, not just Hilltop, for the church in Boston, right? And one of the things that we often call out is the spirit of intellectualism. We say, wow, these, I mean, there's Man can do all things. This is like the predominant thought in this region. And Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is that the only way to wisdom, the only way to revelation is by the Spirit. I thought in some ways, I knew, I feel like, you know, Lord, I, I'm operating in the spirit. You know, I, I like, to, you know, I like to intellectualize things. I like to rationalize. Um, and it, God really encountered me in the spirit. There was a moment where um, the founder and president of this organization that I'm working with, some of you know him, JT, he was speaking about the mystery of the ages. And he was speaking about the African diaspora. And in 1619 to 2019, 2019 represented 400 years uh, since uh, the transatlantic slave trade. And he was revealing to us throughout the scripture what the significance of black suffering in the African diaspora meant in, the, in a biblical framework. And, you know, this has been probably four days. I'm hearing everybody teach. I'm exhausted. Lots of information. And this is heavy stuff. And he's revealing that every people group has a purpose, every tribe has a purpose, and as he's revealing these things, and it's just so much revelation that he's revealing, and things I had never heard before, at the end of probably 45 minutes, he's, he stops, there's about 10 of us in the room, and he asks, you have any questions? And I remember that as I began to try to engage with what he just said with my mind, I was trying to engage and retain what he said about the purposes of my people, about the purposes of the African diaspora. 
I, 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 was, I was trying to grapple with these words. I was trying to grapple with what God was actually doing in our suffering. I was trying to grapple with why, 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 God? Why, why, why? When I look across the globe, our suffering is consistent. Why, why, why? And as he posed this question to the room, there's about 10 of us in the room, I tried to engage. I had questions, my mind was spinning, and the spirit of revelation hit the room. And I kid you not, the spirit of travail fell on everybody in the room. And as we began to cry out to the Lord, we began to engage God. I began to engage God in the mysteries of the gospel for the first time in real depth in the spirit. And I think, I think that there are some things that we can intellectualize, there are some things that we can teach, but until we get the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we won't walk in them. We can't walk in them. We can, we can engage them with our mind, and as a culture, in this city particularly, if Ephesus needed the spirit of wisdom and revelation, how much more does the church in Boston? We cannot be in bed with the very spirits we war against. He's giving us a new urgency and a new burden to ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That in order to engage the culture, it will not be by good ideas. It will not be by good speaking. There will be a groan. There will be a groan. And you know that you know that you know because there's a groan. Because you don't have the words for it. Because there's a groan. And I believe that if we're going to engage well in the culture in Boston, we cannot meet them at a lower realm. What we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There is a groan from heaven that is being deposited on the church that will bypass the mind. It will bypass the logic. It will bypass the reason. And it's the same cry that Paul had for Ephesus we must have for the church in Boston. I pray that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Boston needs the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The church cannot operate in our intellect. We cannot operate by what we see. We cannot be content with the answers that culture gives. We cannot be content with the answers our insecurities feed us. We cannot be content with the answers when we aren't sure, we settle for less. If you have a holy discontentment, you know that there's more. You know that, God, I know you're calling me, but I'm afraid. It's too much and it's too deep. He's saying, answer my call into the depths of my revelation because it's the only place that you will receive freedom and the city around you can get set free. Other truth about this is that it's the Father who releases wisdom and revelation. And um, wisdom, it calls us into our destiny. Of course, our inheritance is glorious. God has given us such great power. In verse 19, it says this, what is, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So immeasurable greatness of his power. So this is to the church. We are, there's power, right? He says there's power. Then he says there's great power, but that's not the only modifier. He says there's power, there's great power, but the other modifier, the first one says, then there's immeasurably great power. 
I think some of us are satisfied with power. And God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand that there is not just great power, there is power you can't measure. And it's not because you deserved it, it's because his grace, his blood, his redemptive purposes. And we, in our own pride, we cower. We walk small in the earth. And we say, well, I hope God will do something in the city. Lord, please help us, Lord, we're in so much trouble. But if we read the scripture, he says, you have so much power. He's saying, stand up, church. Stand up. Beg no more, church. Beg no more, church. I have given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Cower no more, but stand up to the immeasurably great power I have afforded you. To those who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Basically what Paul is saying is that that same power that raised Christ from the dead, I gave to you. The same power that seated Christ in heavenly places, I pour to you. I pour to you. When Jesus asks Peter in Matthew 16, actually I'll pull it up. Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, what, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Whew. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. When Jesus asked, what do the people, who do the people say that I am? They've been given the same information. They've seen the same miracles. They've heard the same preaching. That Simon Peter has heard. And what is their answer? based on the same information, the same data, the same miracles, the same preaching that Jesus has done in his ministry, what is their answer? Huh? Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. Jesus turns to Simon Peter on that same information, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? He says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. He said, my father in heaven, from the heavenly realm, heavenly places, poured out the spirit of wisdom and revelation on you. And what he says is, oh, in that rock, that rock of revelation, that rock of faith, I will build my church. The church is not built on information, but revelation. And if we get a grasp of that, 
will understand that Jesus didn't consult businesses before he left and pour his revelation on them. He didn't leave kingdoms or militaries. Who did Jesus leave in the earth? The one offense against the kingdom of darkness, the one thing that will hold it back, the one thing that it cannot prevail against it. He only spoke it to one people. There is only one people group, people group on earth who have authority in heavenly places. There's only one. And Jesus is explicit that it's on this rock, I will build my church. It's his. It's his grace. It's his blood. It's his redemption. My church. I believe the Lord is revealing to us again that it's his church. It's his purposes. And that when we cower and we beg, we're looking from a place of our sight. We're operating out of flesh. And a spirit of wisdom and revelation is what's required to walk in the fullness. I'm going to be quick with the last few things here. Where did I end on verse 20? Verse 21 Far above all, Ephesians 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Really quick about Ephesus. There was a goddess in Ephesus. Her name was Artemis. And Artemis was uh, the center of of the worship in Ephesus. And so powerful that this is kind of actually what they were known for. Uh, Where in many other locales, Artemis was a secondary goddess. Not the primary one. But in Ephesus, she was worshipped because she was a god of fertility. And if you go into Acts chapter 19, what you'll see is when Paul talks about immeasurable power, he's, he's not kidding. <laughs> he's not kidding that the church operates in power. What we see in Acts chapter 19 is that Artemis, although was the predominant spirit of that age and in that locale, Paul begins to preach the gospel so effectively with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that there was a whole economy based on Artemis. There would be merchants who would sell merchandise of Artemis. It it actually fueled the local economy. And when Paul began to preach, you know what happened? These merchants began to go out of business because what he was preaching is that Artemis, there's only one real God and Artemis ain't it. And in that prevail, in that city where that, I mean, that was a staunch, that was an ideology, an idol, a spirit that was hovering over that area. And Paul goes in with immeasurable and great power and begins to turn over the economy. So much so that the merchants chased him out. (laughs) Not only did Paul do that, Paul would simply touch a handkerchief. And somebody else would come by and touch the very handkerchief that Paul touched, and they would get healed. There were times where people would try to mimic the power of God. The sons of Sceva, 
they would see Paul and they'd see him preaching the gospel, that preaching Jesus, and they'd say, wow, that really works. And so they would be imitators of the power of God. And so what they would do is when people were possessed, they would go up and they would pray that that demon would be cast out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's what they would say. That guy Jesus preaches about. That guy Jesus that he, uh, that he proclaims. In the name of Jesus, I cast you out. And you know what? They tried to mimic the power of God. And what happened is, is that they came across one spirit that rose up and said, hmm, I, I, I heard Jesus. I've heard of Jesus. Yes, I've heard of Jesus. Uh, I, I've also heard of Paul. But who are you? <laughs> but who are you? That authority comes from Christ and it can't be falsified. It can't be manufactured. It was given to his church. I believe that we can have the same authority here in the city. I believe that the economy based on false ideologies, I believe that an economy based on things that are not of God, I believe that when we walk in the fullness of the mysteries of God, when we walk in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and we engage it with the fullness of the blessings in heavenly places, that when we know that it's not because I'm in charge, it's because God is seated in heavenly places. It's not because I can deal with it, it's because God is above Artemis. God is above intellectualism. That God actually places all things under his feet and subjugates it. And this is the revelation that I believe will carry us in a time where there will be many that will proclaim, that will seek our worship, that will want to dominate over the church, that will want to intimidate the church. But the church has every spiritual blessing that it needs. It has the fullness of the authority in God. And there's, an, there's a place where I believe that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we know that it's by his grace that we've been equipped, and it's by his authority that we've been sent, that there is no ruler or authority or principality that will prevail against the church. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. God, we thank you that you see your son in heavenly places. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us to fend for ourselves. I thank you that there's so much truth that you're so graciously pouring out to us. I pray, Lord, that you're giving us a new appetite to digest the mysteries. I pray, Lord, that this book, this holy book of Ephesians, Lord, would 
we would cherish it, dissect it, God, seek after not just the information, but your revelation, God. I thank you for your church. I thank you that you've raised up a church in Boston. I thank you that you cared so much about this city that you raised up a church. I thank you that because you're not intimidated, we're not intimidated. I thank you that you're reviving a new faith and hope. That you're generating a new purpose in us, God. I thank you, Lord, that it's not by good teaching and it's not by words. But more than anything, God, we want your spirit. I pray, Lord, for a church that cherishes the spirit of God. That walks by the spirit. Lord, we confess, Lord, that perhaps... We have not seen your immeasurably great power. I ask you to show us. I ask you, Lord, to remind us that heaven is for us. That every spiritual blessing is lavished on us. Just thank you for every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, every person who has doubted their authority. I thank you that you're resuscitating their authority right now in Jesus' name, that you're bringing new authority over their situation, God. I thank you, Lord, that those who have been discouraged by their own brokenness, God, pray, Lord, that you would remind them that you've chosen them. That you've made up your mind. Thank you, Lord, that in this hour, there's more for us. Thank you that you set the terms of agreement, God. I thank you that there's more for us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that the standard is so high. It's immeasurably high. I thank you, Lord, that... We can't do it in our own strength or our own striving, God. I thank you, Lord, that every spot and blemish, God, you promised, Lord, will be removed. I thank you, Lord, that you're opening the eyes of hearts this morning, God. You're enlightening us, Lord, to your glory. Pray that in any way, Lord, we've simplified or we thought too small, we thought too lowly of the church, or we came just to get what we needed. 
I thank you, Lord, that you're disrupting, Lord, our very requests for small things. I thank you, Lord, that you're increasing our capacity. You're increasing our capacity to chase after the things of God. But I pray even now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. secret place, God, for encounter. I pray, God, in the corporate setting, God, for encounter. I even just hear the Lord saying, I'm not worried. There are some of us, uh, in the sound of my voice, uh, who are worried who have identified the danger, who know it well, who know their weaknesses very well. I hear the Lord saying for those who came with a weakness that they can't really shake, and it's almost been debilitating. I hear the Lord saying over you, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm not shaken. Just place your eyes on me. What he, I think he, I believe the Lord is saying that when you place your eyes on your struggle, and you're so, so hyper-focused on the struggle. If you just look a little bit higher, I, I believe the Lord is saying, look a little bit higher than your struggle. You'll see his foot. You'll see his foot. I see the foot of the Lord on top of your struggle. I see the foot of the Lord subjugating. The Lord is saying, look a little bit higher. It is placed under my feet. So I thank you, Lord, that even right now, intellectualism in the city is placed under your feet. I thank you, Lord, that the spirit of death in this land we're not worried. It's placed under your feet. I pray, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that depression and anxiety and worry is placed under your feet. For those tormented,
So, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage, Lord, to give those things to you. for ministry specifically for those tormented um, I think that there has been too much agreement with the spirit of torment and the things that we have just laid we've laid our we've, we've laid down to we've laid down to in the church we haven't responded with the giftings and the blessings from the heavenly realm I believe that the resources of heaven are available to you today. That the spirit of torment and of depression and anxiety, that you're here specifically because God has poured out deliverance on his church. And I thank you, Lord, that you called a people, God, that you've anointed us, God, set the captive free. And so uh, we're going to open up the altar and for those who need prayer um, and if the core team can come up and we're going to pray for those in need. Hey, before we did, can we, can we just, that was an awesome word, right? Such a good word. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and just briefly, not that I could add anything um, to that great sermon. Uh, you know, as I sit in my seat, thought enters your mind oh yeah this is a word for the church <laughs> quick escape go like this isn't me like I'm not that guy you know you kind of hear a word like this and you kind of handle it the way you read scripture right when you see a story of like Jesus and the Pharisees and this woman who pours like her love out on Jesus right with this expensive perfume and everybody's tearing her apart. And you'd be like, I wouldn't be that guy tearing that woman apart. I'd be celebrating this act of worship, you know? You got, but you know what? As I was sitting in my seat, I just, I felt the, the need to kind of just personalize this word and like make it about me. <laughs> Not, you know, I, I'm so grateful that, you know, Kaylin was like, you know, using it. This is for the church of Boston. And I believe it is. But I think it's a, a word for us as individuals. And, there's places in our lives where we're not making room, right, uh, for the spirit of revelation and wisdom. We just want information, right, in this information age. Just just give us the facts. Give it, get it out there quick. Let us get on with our day, right? But the Lord works differently. He wants to give us revelation and wisdom. And so, you know, of course, the altar is open. But, man, if, if, if there are maybe some here who, man, I, you, you can just relate. You're like, yeah, man, I, I need to give you know, getting revelation and wisdom, more time, more space in my life. And you've felt the personal challenges I have. Uh, we want to just create an altar. Not that anybody's going to pray for that for you, but maybe you just, you know, you want to pray for your own heart and just cry out to the Lord uh, for that revelation and that wisdom to hit your heart. Anyways, 